right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where to D or not to D, that is the question. A poignant quote from Shakespeare's Darwin Hamlet. And to that I'd say, to D it is. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Riley. Alan, welcome back to the show. Have you bought into purple and gold eggs and ham? <laughs> so we got Dr. Seuss. We got Shakespeare. Hey. You should have prepped me so I could, like, think of another uh, literary hero. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm buying uh, ham to the moon. Ham to the moon. So Moon's you over do... my hammy. <laughs> nice. So you do like purple and gold eggs and ham, you am. <laughs> Sounds better than green. F green eggs and ham. We don't want none of those Boston breakfasts. Indeed, indeed. And so, Alan, we've got actual tangible basketball to talk about today. What a refreshing Love those tangible change. balls. Love those tangible balls, indeed. And while the Lakers are currently 0-2 in the preseason at the time of this recording, it actually sort of seems like a promising 0-2 start, if that can even be said after a 30-point preseason loss to the Kings. But it can be said... And I just said it, damn it. Uh, so before we get to talking more about what we've seen thus far from the Lakers in this early preseason stretch, if we could please ask you guys to rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app, that would be amazing. More so, if you haven't yet checked out our podcast channel on Spotify, if you could also please just tap the five-star button at the top of our page there, we would also be eternally grateful. We're still trying to get to 55 stars on Spotify before the season ends. I believe we're at 45, 46. So please help us out in that venture if you appreciate what we've been doing. Because all you get on this podcast are lessons and wisdom, as Darvin Ham would say. Uh, lessons, wisdom, and litness, I should say. All right, with that said, Alan, let's get into it. Um, in general, what has struck out to you thus far for better or for worse about what you've seen about this new group, this new iteration of the Lakers under Darvin Ham. And, and let's, before we get into like breaking down like the offensive end, the defensive end, you can get into either of those, but let's just do like a general vibe check. And I want to caveat everything by saying that, you know, for me, la I mean, last night's game was a lot of fun to watch, you know? And I'm trying to compartmentalize the fact that, yes, the Lakers look a lot better, but I feel like I'm saying that in comparison to what we saw last year, like the train wreck that we saw last year. And I just want to recognize that there's a lot going on in a vacuum that is objectively exciting and promising, but at the same time acknowledge that when everything is under the vacuum and prism of what we just underwent last year, it's easy to get swept up in projecting this team out to be like, oh, they're a playoff contender if they just do A, B, and C, right? Because at the end of the day, what does this team actually look like outside of the vacuum of last year against other teams with more cohesion than us this year, against other teams that are getting back key pieces and players like Jamal Murray and Kevin Porter Jr. Wait, Kevin Porter? No, Michael, Michael Porter Jr. Or... The Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George, et cetera, et cetera. And there are 
I know a lot of dysfunction, chemistry dysfunction going on around the leagues, surprisingly, especially in the Western Conference with the Suns and the Warriors. Uh, so that should help the Lakers out. But yeah, I just wanted to keep that in mind as I'm watching these games of like sort of keeping things into perspective because at the end of the day, Russ is still on this roster. The roster is still imbalanced. And so taking a step back, I also want to keep in mind, how does this actually look? How will this team actually look like compared to these other Western Conference powerhouses? And is being better than last year good enough? I think is the main question that I want to, you know, kind of highlight for everybody. But with that said, what is your vibe check on like, was it refreshing to you to see certain things? Yes, it was refreshing. Uh, If you just look at it for what it is, the fact that I had a good time watching it, I wasn't very irritated, you know, at times, sure, of course, because it's going to happen in every single game that you watch. No one's going to execute at 100%. But there were many more like, ooh, that was nice. Like, oh, I like that. More smiling, more laughing, just more joy <laughs> uh, abounding in general mm-hmm. is is what my experience was, especially uh, the game against Phoenix. Yeah. Um, so I think that... For the, again, the overall like vibe check, right? The team looks more cohesive, I would say. The team looks and is a lot younger. The team is running a lot. <laughs> and yeah, we'll get into like that sort of thing. But just in general, it's like a fun, more fun brand of basketball to watch. Uh, Thomas Bryant got a T for stepping onto the court because he was too happy, you know? <laughs> and Russ, like, went over to center court with ice on his knees and was telling him, like, no, 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 that's a ridiculous foul to, to assess. Uh, so, like, you, you see Russ hanging on LeBron, and they're, like, laughing with each other. And you could plug in any player. It doesn't have to be Russ. It doesn't have to be LeBron. It could be anyone else, right, in the league. And when you see that type of could call it camaraderie right like these guys are having fun with each other that's always a good thing um so yeah it's been fun to watch there's been bright spots there's been these little like moments that you could cling on to that aren't just like you can count them on less than one hand uh so so far for what it is so good yeah and i agree with you i mean lo and behold the things you want to do like getting out into transition work out a lot better when you have young, fresh legs who can actually run. Whoa, it's amazing, (laughs) right? Um, And if we're talking about vibe check, like you just mentioned, the vibes seem to be pretty positive, especially given the sort of interesting, awkward circumstances surrounding, you know, the team in terms of does, I mean, Russ knows what's going on, right? I mean, these guys aren't stupid, right? But in spite of that, the fact that these guys can take it for what it is as well. Take it day by day and say, hey, right now we're a team and this is what we have and we're going to try our best. And I think that's the one thing I wanted to pinpoint. Like, there's a lot more trying everywhere, you know, in every sense of the word. It's not just... And when you add trying with fresh legs, things work out a lot better than trying and, oh, this dude's busted and can't really run anymore, you know what I mean? Um, Because you can try all you want mentally, but as we saw from last year, if you're over the hill athletically, there's not much else you can do, right? So let's talk about what what sort of um, stood out to you on the offensive end, because as we've been alluding to, the pace, they actually got the horses to run this year. But even outside of like pushing it into transition, in the half-court offense, the ball movement and player motion is just so much more dynamic and apparent. And it seems like everything has more intent and purpose. Um, 
even when you see guys sort of ISOing, if they ISO on a certain possession, they're doing it in the first like five seconds, you know? And they're doing it with the intention of driving it into the paint and pitching it back out. You know, we've been talking about Darvin Ham and how he used to run this like motion offense with Bud in Atlanta and also in Milwaukee. Well, that system relied on guys kicking, driving and kicking out, and then guys on the perimeter swinging it, to, swinging it to the next guy on the wing, and then that guy driving and kicking out. It's a constant motion so that you get that sort of yo-yo effect on offense where the defense actually starts to bend, and you do get these crevices in the defense where, oh, hey, LeBron James, of all people, is open for a layup. How did that happen? You know what I mean? It's because multiple guys knew that they had to do something with the ball, and they executed. So getting into their sets and motions a lot quicker within the first eight seconds, initiating and engaging something. Again, there's a lot more intentional movement from players that um, even in the half court, you're just like, wow, this is different from last year for sure. But what do you have to see on the offensive end of things? Yeah, I kept finding myself looking at the shot clock, right? Once, like you said, we would actually get into our sets and our motions. And how many times last year would you look and it starts blinking red because it's like under 10 seconds or whatever. And offensively we still did nothing we did not attack there was nothing aggressive about us um whereas yeah like you said right now everything actually has a purpose and it was so nice to see with 14 plus seconds we would we had already like started chip away at whatever the defense right was trying to do Mm -hmm. um and this is yeah this is game two of the preseason and i think with a mostly brand new team brand new personnel um Aside from how horrible things looked last year, two weeks into the season, like this is good stuff. And, uh, you know, Darvin Ham said that he feels that the team is going to be able to pick up the system relatively quickly. Um, <clears throat> and it seems like that's the case. I mean, brand new coach, brand new team, they already look like they're gelling. Uh, things don't look terribly awkward when we're running out those like first and second units uh, through the third quarter. Uh, so, yeah, I, I totally agree with what you said there. Yeah, and it's just been fun to actually watch a team that wants to play fast actually execute it by prioritizing defense first. And then all of a sudden, like within the first two seconds, all those guys are down the court. I think you remember this play where LeBron James gets the rebound on the baseline in the second quarter of last night, and all the other four guys are already at midcourt sprinting. And then a second later, LeBron James just lobs it to Wenyan Gabriel for the jam. And what's funny is JTA was... Yeah. running level to Wenyan, so it could have been either of them. Absolutely. I love that. I love I it. Know. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's so much fun. You know what else was nice about that? They weren't running out to the three-point line, and I know Stu and Billy Matt kept saying it over and over and over, right? <laughs> but, dude, it's like there were multiple fast breaks like that, right? It's like a three-on-two break. Austin Reeves seemed like he was in the middle of a lot of those, mm-hmm. and uh, like the one that comes to mind, it's so simple. It's Austin Reeves, Pat Bev, LeBron both on the wing, Austin Reeves gets into the paint, Chris Paul commits, passes it to LeBron, easy layup. And, like, that's classic vintage basketball (laughs) that you learn when you're in kindergarten running three-man weave, whatever, right? But modern NBA, you don't really see that. Pat Bev would be running to the corner or something, and then you kick it out there, which is ridiculous. Uh, So we saw that multiple times last night, and... I don't know, the fact that, at least for me, it elicited such a, like, oh my god, that was beautiful response feels ironic right like that's just what it should be that's the smart thing to <laughs> right. do let's stop trying to get three points whatever but anyway uh you, you wouldn't see much of that last year 
ironically with the lack of three-point shooting that we had. So that was another thing that was fun to watch. Well, I, I think what you're getting to is they know their strengths right now. I think if they actually had legitimate three-point shooters, you could have that versatility of having some guys uh, flare out. But in lieu of that, because we don't have those shooters yet, they're like, well, let's just all point. rampage down. You know, let's all stampede down the lane and then make the defense pick or choose, you know. Um, so let's move on to the defensive end because this directly correlates to our transition play. And... So the one thing, Alan, that I that kind of blew my mind, and I, I do want to caveat this again by saying if Frank Vogel had these same horses, I'm sure we would be lauding and praising what Frank Vogel was able to do with them. It's just, unfortunately, Darvin Ham was gifted with a much more competent roster of dudes who can do stuff. But having said that, the thing that stood out to me the most was the help defense I'm not even just talking about the one-on-one primary defender, but everybody seemed aware of what was going on and they knew when to jump in and tag you man, tag you man. You know, like (laughs) I'm I'm telling you, there's this, there's this instance too, where anytime anybody gets into the paint, Alan, you see all four other guys almost pulsating in and out to try and step in to crowd that same player. And so by the time, if let's say the primary defender gets beat, it doesn't matter because multiple guys have already keep doing that step in, step out thing so that they're helping. There's already default help there. You know what I mean? And if you watch a lot of the opposing team shot attempts, you don't normally see just one hand contesting. You typically see another hand in the periphery trying to bother the shot as well. And dudes are really, dudes off ball, off the primary initiator are really making an effort to not only contest, but send multiple guys to harass, disrupt, and contest. Um, it's almost like, if I could describe it, it's almost like the Lakers had a moving double team or zone defense out there. And it feels like Ham wants the opponent, the ball handler, to feel like there's always a defender behind or around him. Like moving, like a, again, a moving double team so that even if he is just being defended one-on-one, it's in the back of his head that it's like, oh, wait, is someone going to come out, you know, come from the blind side and block me? Because that happened a couple of times, whether it was, you know, JTA holding his ground on Aiton and then Pat Bev comes out and swats the ball, right? Or uh, Damian Jones all of a sudden on the weak side swats the ball. Or Austin Reeves gets beat, but because Damian Jones is there to sort of corral Chris Paul, he can come back into the play and swat Chris Paul with his left hand. I saw a lot of that that I didn't see last year where I was like, man, these guys are helping the helper. There is always a help defender there in case someone gets beat. And everybody seems so much more engaged. And I think that also starts with, obviously, Darvin Ham's principle of getting to that primary ball handler at the very start of a possession because you see, you know, Pat Bev guarding up on Chris Paul from the full court already before they've even crossed the the half-court line. And by that point, you've already, like, sort of eaten up you know, four or five seconds, and Chris Paul's like, this is annoying, you know? Well, yeah, because what happens, what happens, right, when Pat Bev picks him up, like, just below the logo at center court, like, Chris Paul needs help, right? So someone's got to come over for that pass, and that's when, now you've, like, collapsed their offense, right? You've, like, condensed the court, you've shrunk it, so that's why it is easier to send that help over. Um, You're not allowing him all this space to, like, just get to his freaking spot, because you're old and you can't keep up and you don't want to get beat off the dribble, right? Yeah. 
And then on top of it, transition defense, because, you know, Darvin Ham highlighted during when he was first hired that they want to get back in transition when another team is trying to run. And you saw multiple possessions where, dude, LeBron is running back along with JTA. And when, like, these long full-court passes are being heaved to, like, a rim runner like Aiton, they're actively trying to swat the ball, you know? There's just so much more, again, activity going on either in the half court or in transition. So what did you see from the defensive end? Yeah, I mean, the question, right, is like, well, why weren't we doing it last year if we want to hearken back to that? I mean, it's like so many reasons. Like, old is number one, so mm-hmm. almost like can't do it. Um, lack of trust. I mean, how many times the guys say, like, we got to trust each other? And it is pretty cliche. But you know last year, like, they didn't trust each other to tag their man, to rotate, um, to, like, have that weak side defense, right, come over and step in. Um, guys are, we're just trying to like make individual plays, whatever the case may be. But now I think if you have that trust, everything like the defense is on a string, like that really makes a lot of sense. Now, if you have the appropriate personnel, whether that's in terms of athleticness, youngness, giftedness, um, but also IQ, I mean, like what's Juan Toscano Anderson, uh, you know, all these vets right now who, um, even like Damian Jones, I mean, he's young, right? But compared to DeAndre Jordan, right? Like, come on. Um, If I'm a perimeter defender and I have him behind me, like you said before, if I'm Austin Reeves and I get off, beat off the dribble, like it's, it's totally fine. Um, So I I do think that it's, there's so many variables (laughs) at play here that are, are helping us. And then sure. Like the scheme, however, the defense is being taught right now, whatever principles that we're following, I don't know. Like, Maybe they are better than last year's, but then Frank was obviously like we're a top defense in the Mm -hmm. league. So um, it's difficult to pinpoint, but I think what we can safely say, like you said, is the activity, the engagement um, and just things like making sense uh, has has been really great to watch. You know, Phoenix is a good team. Like they have a lot of experience with each other. They played their starters last night, like a good amount of minutes. And uh, the fact that we held them to, what, 25, 26 points in the first quarter or something like that, and we put up a lot more, um, <clears throat> yeah, you, you can see that interconnectedness. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is you sense the buy-in there, at least to, at the start, right? And I think that's the biggest part of everything. When, when Darvin Ham puts that accountability on everybody and says, hey, you're not going to get minutes unless you're playing defense— so far through two games, again, it's just two games, but so far it's been apparent, and even with Russell Westbrook, I mean, you're not going to change Russell Westbrook. He's still going to fall asleep off ball, but at least he is trying to fight over screens, right? He is staying engaged. He is, like, diving onto the floor, et cetera, et cetera, because you're going to look like a fool when everybody, when the other four players around you are, are doing that. You know what I mean? And there are still times where he's just standing there off ball, but, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, just, there are a couple oh, moments, yeah. man, where I'm like, are you kidding me right now? You let... Uh, what's his name? Get another offensive rebound from the deep corner. <laughs> right. But again, when it's it, Alan, when they look at this in the film room and there's oh, only sure. one play, <laughs> Patrick Beverly is going to like throw his shoe at Russell Westbrook's head in the film room when this happens, you know? So, I mean, again, just like, I love the accountability. I love that. It's already sort of translating. We'll see what happens when we, you know, get into real gameplay and we're against like a team with multiple wings, but so far so good. So let's take it to break first, and when we return, let's talk about some of the individual players and maybe some of the concerns and deficiencies that we've seen thus far. All right, so we're back, 
Alan, let's talk about some weaknesses or deficiencies that you've seen from this team through two games. Uh, obviously, in game one, they got blown out by 30 points, but when the starters were in and AD was actually playing, the starters, you know, held their own and they were up like 46, 42 or whatever during the time that they were out there. Um, and obviously, we're missing Lonnie Walker, Dennis Schroeder, Troy Brown Jr., et cetera, et cetera. Um, but to me, and we don't have to go too deeply into this, but... To me, and this was more apparent in Game 1, surprisingly, even though we didn't have AD in Game 2, but in spite of the activity and um, sort of hustle going on, I feel like defensive rebounding is still a big weakness for this team. And I said it in Game 1, but it's almost like you do have to have Damian Jones and Anthony Davis out there most possessions because... If you only have one big, like if Damian Jones is doing his job and protecting the rim so many times during the uh, versus the Kings, like he'd get the block or he'd get the contest, but another Kings player would get the offensive rebound because our guys are too small and they can't box out. You know, so there the size deficiency in spite of the activity uh, is still apparent, and so that's something we're gonna have to shore up personnel-wise via trade or guys just helping out each other more. Uh, boxing out better but that's definitely like the biggest thing for me and then obviously this is you know low-hanging fruit but shooting um swider helped a lot in game one obviously didn't have it game two that's gonna happen when you're an undrafted rookie um my question is what's what what happens when kendrick nunn is not on fire from three isn't going four of seven from three you know are we going back to that model where it's like yeah, we just hope every new game someone else has it going. To me, that sounds very dicey. But yeah, those are the, my two main you know, concerns. But what about you? Yeah, those are really good. Um, I definitely agree when it comes to the defensive rebounding because you can't teach size, right? Um, Wenyan Gabriel has been, I mean, I know we're, right now we're talking about like you know, stuff they could work on, but he is one of those players who mm-hmm. you can rely on. Yeah, to like, I think bang down there. Um, he has that like wiry, you know, strength, if you will, cause he's not a big dude, but, uh, he knows how to fight for his positioning. And we really saw that, um, against Sacramento. Uh, I was like super happy to see, uh, his level of activity and commitment. And he's like a different type of energy guy, if you will. Um, and then with regards to shooting, yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, Pat Bev so far, I mean, he's like taking his shot when he sees it, you know, and he's, he's knocking him down, which is great when he sees the defense sagging off him. Like Chris Paul was way below the three point line the, uh, yesterday and he sees his opportunity, shoots it. Um, but yeah, like we need more than one guy <laughs> to be able to rely on. Um, I feel like right now this is like very nitpicky specific, but like Juan Toscano Anderson, when he's shooting his threes, I feel like he's drifting so far <laughs> to the left I don't get it. Like, he had one of those Russell Westbrook-style <laughs> bank shots. And, like, the second he jumped up, his body just, like, <laughs> like flew at a 45-degree angle to the left. And it's like, Come on, Chris go, Gent. Go straight up and straight down. Like, what are you doing? Um, it's just kind of odd. Um, so, that being said, AD in the first game, stroking it, knocked down two threes. Mm-hmm. We learned that his wrist was really bothering him last season. Like we kind of knew there was like a wrist thing, but he, he didn't like complain about it. So um, hopefully that's just like a tangible reason why uh, his shooting was so abysmal last season. Um, and then the other bit of low hanging fruit is I mean, where I kind of talked about Russ and like, like we said, like Russ will be Russ 
it's just it's very infuriating when he makes mistakes because it's <laughs> he's so like dude you might as well not even be out there and I, I guess what I'm looking for in the next game that he plays, whenever that is, it's almost like, let's just track him and let's see how many times he has these brain fart moments. And if on average every game he has like three to five or something, let's just hope game by game it becomes two and a half to three and a half, two to three. Sure. Instead of, you know, that's when you can tell, okay, the, the coaching, the accountability, whatever is actually working. If it's just plateauing the whole time, then, well, there you go. Um, so we'll, we'll see. <laughs> and we're starting to see very quickly because of almost the glut of guards that they've collected. And I think it was for the purpose of one, either motivating Russ to play the right way or two, you know, shipping Russ out that there are a lot of capable guys here who can get the job done if Russ is still falling asleep off ball or is willing to take that risky pass or is willing to take that three-point shot above the break for some reason. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. And so, and that's not to say Russ hasn't bought in because he has been very engaged and he has done some very positive things. But in the grand scheme of like what we're trying to do here, it's almost like, is it good enough or can we be better than this? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. With that said, are there any plays that have stood out to you either offensively or defensively before we get into specific players? Yeah, I mean, I think there's the obvious ones. The lob, like we already mentioned, to winning Gabriel. The Pat Bev lob to JTA in the first game. Uh, LeBron's ridiculous. The one where he almost threw it out of bounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> and JTA got up there, like, above the box. Um, obviously, LeBron's chase down blocks. LeBron's, like, after the whistle swatted out of bounds. I think game two was his revenge game from going over four from the field and just being asked ridiculous questions like, oh my God, you didn't make a shot. And he's like, okay, whatever, I'm going to go MVP mode right here, game two of the preseason. Yeah. And he, he's like, here's my one-footed three-point shot to show you how serious I am. Oh, it went in. There you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, those I think are like the obvious flashy ones in terms of um, like more substantial plays right like that actually show some sort of cohesiveness you talked about it earlier this might be um, might be stealing yours right now the ball movement right there was this one play yesterday where Kendrick Nunn there's like a little two-man game with him and LeBron Kendrick Nunn's in a lot of like pick and roll kind of actions mm -hmm. right now which is so nice to see because he's capable of yeah making those decisions but he had a little just a little dime right um pocket pass and then from there, swing, 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 all around the perimeter. And, um, yeah, like, more of that, please. That, that was, uh, yes. I think, my favorite play of the preseason so far. I Is it the play where it was like LeBron dives, none hits him, LeBron pitches it back out to Swider at the baseline, Cole swings it to Reeves on the wing, Reeves attacks with a hard closeout, or he attacks the closeout, then he finds LeBron for an easy lay-in on the baseline where four guys essentially touched the ball in that sequence and they got a bucket in five seconds of that happening. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was probably emblematic of driving and kicking and keeping the ball moving on the perimeter where it's like the spacing was almost perfect because you're not just passing it around in the same spot. You know, it's not crowded. So it's, it's like... the north, south, east, west, like that, that whole thing that we're going to keep hearing about, right? Exactly. In lieu of not having shooting, how do you create the spacing? It's by driving and kicking, you know, moving all around the court. So that's exactly what they did on that play. And then the other play that I really liked was in game one, there was this very quick three-man game with 
Patrick Bev, LeBron James, and Thomas Bryant, where Pat Bev has the ball at the three-point line. Thomas Bryant sets a down screen for LeBron. LeBron flares out, gets the ball from Pat, and then TB flares out and rolls. And then LeBron hits him with like a perfect bounce pass for the layup. And not one dribble move was used in that three-man sequence, you know? So beautiful synergy that we're seeing happen. And it's very clear that, you know, you can tell when like, a new team is constructed and they're going through the ABCs, one, two, threes of like trying to be in the, in the right spots and everything like that. And I think the guys are doing that. It's just that they're also executing at the same time. You can tell people are very aware of the spacing, both on the offensive end and the defensive end of which positions and zones they should be in. I don't know if you caught this, but in the fourth quarter, Matt Ryan, who's been with the team for like four days, was telling Thomas Bryant, hey, move, get out of that spot. That's not where you're supposed to be. Uh, Kind of an indictment on Thomas Bryant, but just the fact that like, okay, this is getting ingrained into these guys that they should be in certain spots, you know, and that's kind of encouraging to to see in here. So um, let's talk about standout players, Alan, and let's start with uh, Kendrick Nunn, the myth the legend Kendrick Nunn, but for all the right reasons of being mythic and legendary this season, because he's actually out on the court. 21 points in 19 minutes, 8 of 13 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3. I already thought he looked really good in the first game, turnovers aside, but I literally said this to myself, and this is hyperbolic, but I was like, uh, this guy can do anything he wants to out on the court right now. He is so frisky out there with the ball. He looks so fluid, so agile and acrobatic. He had like two of those like scoop-de-doo switch hand layups last night. And then there's just a pep in his step and he looks revitalized from like a year off basketball that he didn't expect to have, you know? And this is going to sound insane, but he kind of looked like Kyrie Irving out there, like poor man's Kyrie Irving with these layup packages and yo-yo dribble crossovers. And obviously the shot has been on point. So your thoughts on Kendrick Nunn? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I mentioned it earlier. I, I really enjoy it when he's in a pick and roll action, right? And um, I think that when we have a strong role man paired with him, he's also a really good distributor. I mean, you talked about how he's able to isolate. Um, he's got a tight handle. You know, his footwork is really nifty. He had that one, like, little floater. I can't remember who was guarding on Phoenix, but they definitely had a size advantage over him. And uh, he had, like, a reverse pivot, little head fake, pump fake, jab step. And then kind of like floated it up over the top. Um, So there's like that aspect of his game where, like you said, he could get his own. But also, um, I feel like the chemistry between him and like a Damian Jones, him and a Thomas Bryant, obviously him and LeBron, shoot, him and AD. We haven't even seen that combo like that much. Mm -hmm. Um, It's another playmaker, (laughs) not just for himself, but for others. Uh, Takes a load off of LeBron for sure. Um, when he's in there and say like Russ isn't or whatever, he's that guy, right? And he's he's more than just like microwave type of player, although he certainly feels that like Vernon Maxwell, you know, type of profile. So, um, gosh, I mean, yeah, we had him on the team all of last year, right? Technically, but it's like this is like a new player on our team. I can't remember who it was, but they're like, he's a real NBA player. <laughs> like I heard someone <laughs> say that recently, and it's uh-huh. like, yes, he is substantial he is legitimate and uh that's a huge huge addition for our team dude kendrick nunn is the type of guard who would typically kill the lakers on the other end for where sure. we're like, who's that small guy running in and out and dribbling all over the place and we can't seem to get a hold of him and he's pulling up from the mid-range from three he's passing out to people we don't know what he's doing on any 
given second. If he was on Miami, he'd kill us. There was that one yeah. game we lost to the Heat on a Saturday evening a couple years ago. I think uh, Alex Crusoe could have hit the game winner in that game or something. Right. But I remember Kendrick Dunn destroyed us in that game. Yeah. He's just crafty as hell, you know? Um, let's move on to Austin Reeves. Uh, Point Reeves. The uh, the confidence, the aggression, the versatility. He looks like he's back in college, you know, his last two years where he was, they pretty much gave him the ball and told him to initiate. And, you know, sometimes it's reckless, sometimes it's wild. But for the most part, you're like, dude, this is a second year player. He had 6.7 rebounds, nine assists, three steals, two blocks. And you may look at that and say, that seems like outlier numbers. But then you, if you remember his triple-double game to end the season versus the Nuggets, 31 points, 16 rebounds, 10 assists. My God, this dude is doing this without having his three-point shot set yet. You know what I mean? And you know that he can shoot. So, And then on the defensive end, he's still being scrappy as hell. He mentioned that he bulked up. You can see his strength there. Um, this is why I kind of comped him to Kirk Heinrich, who coming out of the draft was supposed to be this playmaker, initiator, but someone who is also hard-nosed on defense, right, and can stay in front of his man. And, Alan, I haven't shared this comp yet, but when Austin Reeves ever gets his three-point shot to work, he kind of reminds me of Mike Dunleavy because Mike Dunleavy was also sort okay. of this, like like a shorter Mike Dunleavy because I think Mike Dunleavy was uh, Mike Dunleavy Jr. I yeah. think he was like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, but, like, he also was a very scrappy hustle dude, but his main thing, obviously, was that he could space... Totally. From the perimeter. I like and that. I think that's something that Austin Reeves can do. And also, they just kind of look and shoot similarly from the perimeter as well. Not just because they're white. But <laughs> what are your thoughts on what Austin Reeves has been doing? Because he literally was everywhere, and the stats back that up. Yeah, and I think you saw a lot of improvement from game one to game two from him. Um, just for what that's worth. You know, he, he made such uh, a difference in the game, all aspects of the game against Phoenix. Uh, like you mentioned, he had a quintuple single, right? But it wasn't like <laughs> one, one, one across the board. It was like close to double, double territory, knock down a couple more shots, get to the free throw line, whatever. Now we're looking at almost a triple double, right? Uh, with a lot of other stats as well. So I don't know if you listen to the post game show interviews, but Pat Bev was talking about him and he says that he wants to take Austin Reeves under his wing. He's like, that's like my guy. I love him. I want to teach him like so much. LeBron was talking about Austin saying, I, I hope that he's in the league for a very, very long time. Um, yeah. I mean, everybody's just like waxing poetically about him and for good reason. Um, and I think that like where he is going to really like flourish and thrive, we already know this based on the combinations last year in the lineups, like when he's out there with LeBron, which means that he's going to be out there with Anthony Davis. I mean, that's why he might start. We don't know. Like he started the game yesterday. Um, so it's interesting to see how Darvin Ham is kind of, um, kind of tinkering with the lineups. That being said, he can literally play with anybody. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, so super impressed with what he's got. Hopefully that shot starts to fall. When he did shoot it, though, in, you know, second preseason game, um, there's more arc on the shot, you know, to yeah. throw out a favorite Stu Lance. There needs to be more arc. Last year, it was extremely flat, probably just like rookie legs, tired, not used to playing so many games. Um, so the, the strength factor and all that kind of stuff and just learning how to be an adult in the NBA, I think uh, it'll it'll come around. 
Yeah, and he really sells that shot fake hard, huh? And it's almost like, Austin, stop giving yourself whiplash, bro. He's like, pump fake, and then he, he drives really hard into the lane for like, and he hit some of these shots, you know, that soft floater or that mid-range jump shot off one foot. I'm like, damn, dude, yeah, Austin Reeves is definitely a keeper. Talk to me about the Pat Bev effect, because I guess it's true. You, you hate him when he's on the other team, but you really do kind of love him when he's on your team, because the constant energy and pressure that he puts on the rest of the team to be at their best activity-wise at all moments is, it is infectious. Him constantly yapping and showing other guys up, it is infectious. And, you know, he's been hitting his threes, he's playing off ball well, not complaining. He's keeping the engagement and momentum and hustle up on the court. So what are your thoughts on the Pat Bev effect? <laughs> I think my favorite moment so far, it has nothing to do with like basketball per se. Russ hit the three-pointer in the corner, got fouled. Pat Bev walks over, daps him up, high five. And he like almost headbutted Russ when he was telling him like, you know, good shit or whatever. And it looked just like, if you had no context, if he was wearing a different jersey, it looked like he's getting in Russ's face, like, trying to start some shit with him. <laughs> no, yeah, Because <laughs> totally. he was so in his face, like, chest to chest. And um, I, I feel like, you know, Russ is, like, moody, right? Or he, Russ is very dynamic emotionally. He has those moments, he's, like, rocking the baby. He's, like, smiling. He's, like, you know, laughing with the crowd or whatever. And then Russ has those moments where he's got that scowl. I feel like Pat Bev is like trying to like get into Russ's head <laughs> and like encourage him actually. And um, yeah. it's just funny because visually it looks like when they're on opposing teams and he's like trying to start some crap with him. Um, but other than that, which I think is like a huge thing though, um, I just really enjoyed his interview after the game last night because he's so sincere and genuine and it isn't just coach speak cliches. Like he really means it when he says like, I know what my role is and I'm, I'm here to like impact everybody's effort, their intensity and their commitment on the court. And we can see like those ripple effects he's leading by example. Um, when he's bodying up Chris Paul at like, you know, before the half court line, um, he's like kind of getting his chest into him and some of the fouls that he's drawing, like, yeah, I can get myself out of Laker mode and be like, yeah, that's bull. Like, that's not a foul, but whatever. <laughs> like, we're going to take it, you know? Um, it's you mean the one hilarious. where he the one where he ran into Chris Paul's shoulder and then yeah. flopped on the ground? And that they were pick. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, that pick that Chris <laughs> Paul said. Then he, like, flung himself all over the place. I'm like, that's such BS. But, <laughs> but you... You know that's exactly what Chris Paul would do to him. So why not, Absolutely. you know, fight fire back with fire? So that's the veteran savviness of it all. You know, you take advantage of that anywhere that you can. And Pat Bev is, yeah, we're glad to have him on our team. Um, let's talk about Wenyan Gabriel. Um, he's still on a non-guaranteed contract. And obviously, you know, when we had to let Stanley Johnson go, who, by the way, I'll still say, I'd love to see Stanley Johnson on this team still. But given the logistics of what happened with the trade, yeah, we're seeing now why they decided to maybe keep Wenyan because he is taller than Stanley and he's just been an energy bunny. He hasn't had his shot going for him, but that hasn't really seemed to matter because he's so active, agile. He's crashing the boards everywhere. Running the floor well is the most important part. And then on defense, he's like standing his ground against DeAndre Ayton. And I don't know what's going on with Ayton and you know him not wanting to be in Phoenix. He just looks kind of off. Like Not to say that our guys aren't the main reason why he's off, but... I'll just add that caveat out there that 
Maybe Aiton is not in his right frame of mind yet, but all I know is Wenyan was really giving him some fits down there, and most of all, it's just like, he's kind of like a 6'9 Pat Bev. <laughs> nice, nice, I like it. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I kind of talked about it earlier, so you know I don't want to be redundant, but he does look really solid right now. He's doing all those little things. You're never going to fault him for a lack of effort, being disengaged, uh, things like that. Um, yeah, he's a little undersized if we're relying on him, you know, to play up against like fours and fives. But like you just said, there are moments where he's using all the length that he possibly has against DeAndre Ayton, and when he turns around for his little jump hook. And Wenyan is right there, you know, doing the mm -hmm. best he can to deter it from about, like, six or seven feet away from the basket. And then Aiton bricks it. I mean, yeah, for sure. You got to give a lot of credit to to him for that. And um, I it'll be interesting to see how many minutes he gets, you know, like, what again, what that rotation is going to look like, which units he's going to be rolling with um, and things like that. But uh, he is a valuable wing, without a doubt. Alan, maybe we'll get to this later, but he looks a lot better than Thomas Bryant right now. I know we had a lot of high hopes for TB. May need to pump the brakes a little bit after. And it's just, again, it's just two games. But if you compare TB to Wenyan, it's almost like night and day. And it, you can tell that one guy, even though Thomas Bryant is still that energy dude and will always sort of bring the effort, he just seems like a dude who is still trying to work off the rust, even just mentally too. You know, the Matt Ryan thing kind of being a small piece of evidence to that. But really, he just seems the most sort of like trying to find his way. And if he can't get his jump shot going, it's kind of like, OK, what is your use out here? You know what I mean? But with that said, let's move on to Damian Jones, because while he has been a bit rusty offensively and his timing may be a little bit off catching these passes and whatnot, defensively he has been as solid as you can get he's this guy who on drop coverage is still containing a guy like Chris Paul while tagging his man on the roll like he's this dude he's like the defensive center anchor that we didn't have last year almost Dwight-esque right where and I feel like he's improved on this so much but he's not biting on fakes he's shuffling his feet keeping himself planted using verticality when that is needed and obviously on the weak side, he's still blocking the hell out of shots and whatnot. But it's just so refreshing to have this big body in Damian Jones who he's not doing the JaVale McGee thing where you can easily get him off of his feet and all of a sudden you're compromised, right? It's like he's just been very steady and solid in playing within the scheme of what Darvin Ham wants to do. Again, like the anchor where he's covering a lot of different zones just on his own while also being like a weak side block defender and obviously he'll showcase his athleticism here and there um but yeah what have you seen from damian jones yeah you're right um he isn't that like home run hitter on defense that a lot of guys try mm -hmm. to be um the fact that like you said that he's just been very solid and grounded like literally uh ad even mentioned for himself like he's trying to break some of his defensive habits of stepping up just trying to block every single shot it's like no darvin ham is telling us like stay back a little bit right um mm -hmm. so we're already seeing damian jones doing that and um I, I like what you said about him like containing you know on drop defensive coverages i mean how many times we get killed in the pick and roll almost for our entire lives as laker fans going back to the late 90s um so having the versatility that he possesses where he is able to be that shot blocker as well um but just play sound defensive basketball um, is great uh, on the offensive end like you said yeah his shot looks a little i don't know like 
it's like yeah. out of rhythm and stuff like that's a little bit wonky but that's okay that's like cherry on top we really don't need him right. much for that end of the offensive side like he took that three-pointer it's like what are you doing um we don't need that at all dude um if you can be more of a vertical like lob threat i'll be interested to see some of that um but i i think that you're starting to see some like semblances of chemistry as well uh offensively with him and some other guys so um he has looked good in terms of starting lineups and stuff like that. We will see. It's it's looking yeah. pretty good for him, though. We'll say that. Yeah. I mean, he had that one pass to Russell Westbrook where he was almost at the half-court line where he bounced past it almost perfectly to Russell Westbrook in stride for the layup. And I was like, damn, that was a nice pass, you know? Um, let's talk about JTA. You know, he had that sick lob catch from Pat Bev where he was almost sailing out of bounds. Good thing he didn't hit his head. He had an even better game, too, I feel like, where he was being utilized in different ways. Like, in one sequence, he's guarding Devin Booker. The next sequence, he's playing center and guarding DeAndre Ayton in the paint and standing his ground. And I thought that JTA lineup where you could interchangeably, I guess, say LeBron was playing the five, but he was stuck on Ayton. So I'm assuming he was. you could probably consider JTA the five in that lineup. So there was that unit where it was him and LeBron as the front court. I thought that was a very interesting lineup because of the mobility and dynamic speed it gave us on both ends. You know, we were harassing them on the defensive end and making DeAndre Ayton annoyed in the paint. And then on the offensive end, like JTA's initiating at the top of the key with LeBron James. They have that two-man screen roll thing going on. And then he even hit that three on the baseline and he was wide open because... DeAndre Ayton was camped out in the paint because that's where he'd normally be guarding a traditional center. But, oh, yeah, JTA is the center on this unit, you know? Um, But, yeah, overall, I liked his two-man game, and we predicted this, right? His two-man game with LeBron where he's setting the screen, he pops out, rolls to the basket. LeBron James hits him with a nice bounce pass for the Um, lay-in. That synergy is just instantaneous. So what are your thoughts on JTA? Yeah, the fact that LeBron's got some athletes on this team, we haven't even seen all the athletes because of injuries and whatnot, um, is great. And and JT is one of those guys. Uh, I know we said it when we first signed him. I'm like, this dude's a lot bigger <laughs> than I thought he was. Like, just watching him on Golden State, it, it didn't really, like, uh, pop out to me. But And now as I'm seeing him, I'm like, this guy's got some good size. Um, he, like you said, he, he can defend, like, five positions, quite frankly, um, and, and I think that defensively is where he's going to make his biggest impact with us. We don't need him to score a ton of points, um, but just like pretty much all the guys on our team now, he's another one who could run out in transition and um, just just be another threat, right? Um, just in terms of like attacking and putting pressure on the other defense. Uh, so, and I, I think his leadership too. Like every interview that I've heard from him, right? Like we're getting to know these players' personalities too, which is a really fun part of uh, this time of year and damn like he's he's so intelligent he's so thoughtful um and i i feel like he his, his leadership is gonna go a long ways with this team obviously he just won a championship he's been surrounded by really great players um but he seems super genuine to like every single one of his answers it means something right and if that's just how he communicates i mean to the media you gotta think like yeah this is who he is so um, another good locker room guy uh, is a really great addition too. Yeah, for sure, I agree. And you know, it's funny you said he he seems a lot like he has a lot more size. I actually thought he looked smaller, like oh. at, than his listed six six. But because he's so sturdy and because he is a bowling ball of a player, 
it kind of doesn't matter. It's almost like Draymond Green, right? In reality, Draymond Green's like 6'7", but he's guarding centers and power forwards regardless on the daily, you know? And JTA has that versatility to play one through five, maybe more one through four-ish, but as last night showed, he can also play some five and hold his own. And it almost doesn't matter that he looks like he's 6'5 out on the court because he is built so sturdily. Um, Let's talk about some of the rookies slash G League guys, and mainly Cole Swider. Um, His shooting in the first game, incredible. He pretty much carried over what he did in Summer League to (laughs) preseason, and I was like, oh, God, this guy just... He's not going to miss, right? And then, you know, game two kind of brought us back to reality, like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's a rookie. This is going to happen. But it's so surprising to see him miss that you're just like, and miss badly, right? Because so far, we have never seen a bad, you know, Cole Swider shot for the most part. Um, But even just him being out on the court, just to see the gravity that he sort of engenders you're like oh man we gotta we gotta make a trade for some more shooters if you just see this rookie undrafted rookie be able to have this effect on a defense and he had this play in the first game where he pump faked at the three-point line stepped inside the line a little bit took a dribble step back got the defender flying and calmly hit a mid-range j off his own dribble and to me that's like that's a veteran move that a rookie dude who was unheralded coming out of college just pulled off you know And if you just watch him off ball, especially that first game, how much gravity he has and how much he moves around the court. I mentioned it on Twitter, but people are going to misconstrue what I say. But I called him the Lakers Cooper Cup because he's running routes on the perimeter is what I'm talking about. You know, he's running routes and everybody on the court who's a Laker and probably also who is a defender knows where Cole Swider is at all times. They are actively trying to find him. If a set breaks down, there's like they're like, where's Cole Swider running to? He's our ultimate safety valve. So that's what I mean by Cooper Cup. This dude is route running on the perimeter without the ball. And once you hit him, he gets a clean look at three. Bam, swish, it's over. You know what I mean? And then the one thing that I was impressed by game two was he was actually playing pretty solid defense. He was staying in front of his man better, contesting, and getting those almost like Marc Gasol blocks where it's more about the timing than it is, you know, athleticism. But yeah, what were your thoughts on Cole Swider? Yeah, I was literally just going to talk about <clears throat> his defense and how he's able to stay in front of guys. And he's just a solid defender. Like, obviously, like he's going to be sliding his feet, <laughs> you know, as textbook as he possibly can. He's not trying to, like, cut the guy off. He's not going to go for a steal and gamble or do anything like that that's flashy. Um, It's all, like, fundamentally sound. And uh, he's able to go up. He's not worried about even, like, blocking the shots. just about contesting it. Um, So that was a pleasant surprise because you would just expect, I guess, for, you know, whatever reasons, for him to just get beat off the dribble, (laughs) no problem, to be, like, standing up vertically. Um, So, yeah, defensively, not something that I thought that we'd be talking about with him at all. Uh, on the offensive end, it's crazy, too, because, like, he gets good looks, for sure, and he's the one who's, like, freeing himself up as a result of all of that motion, but he also has, like, not good looks, and he's still knocked mm-hmm. it down, right? Like, yeah. and right in his freaking face, and, yeah, he doesn't get a ton of separation off of, like, a step back or something, just because, like, that's not his thing, but he he gets just enough airspace where he can still get it off. He has the height, you know, of course that's going to help him. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think your, your Cooper cup thing, like, I know why you're saying, well, people are going to think cause it's freaking <laughs> Cooper cup. It's like MVP right. candidate. Right. But no, in terms of the activity and things like that, 
uh, absolutely makes sense. And if you are like a shooting guard, like that type of player, like that's what you have to do. Sorry, it's not just going to be catch and shoot with you standing still. And uh, him being like a villa, formerly Villanova guy, you know, a lot of Villanova dudes are super smart. Um, and then he was at Syracuse after that. But uh, I, I think that the IQ is going to come in handy. Yeah, I thought it was interesting also, like last thing, to see him get some run in the first quarter yesterday with like yes, four or five minutes or something like that left in the first. I was like, oh, damn, we're bringing him in now with this unit. It's not fourth quarter garbage time rookies, you know. Uh, so that was by design, <laughs> by the coaching staff. Like, let's see what he could do in real life. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when we were doing that episode where we were like, what's your favorite, like, two-man groupings or three-man, two-man, three-man tandems? After the fact, I was like, damn it, I should have said LeBron and Cole Swider. I just want to see what that looks like, you know, because it's so easy a pairing that it's like, I can't imagine it not working out, you know? Uh, to close this episode tangentially, or actually pretty similar to Cole Swider, I want to talk about Matt Ryan, okay? I know this guy only played like six minutes. He was like one for four from three. But a lot of the same things we're saying about Cole Swider apply to Matt Ryan. And just contextualizing Matt Ryan, and maybe I've watched that offseason video too much, and I'm too super invested in Matt Ryan more than I should be. Thank you for sending that. Everyone should watch that video. Everyone should watch offseason with Matt Ryan on YouTube because he is such an endearing character. His family is such an endearing family. You can tell how hard he's worked. He was like a DoorDash dude and working at his grandpa's graveyard shift not too long ago. Like at a cemetery. When we say graveyard shift, we don't mean like working at the grocery store at 3 a.m. No, literal graveyard (laughs) shift. Yeah. (laughs) But, dude, this guy came in and immediately started shooting. And for me, that's all I want to see out of a shooter. And the types of shots he was shooting, too... And it's funny because the, the there are slight differences between between him and Cole Swider. Cole Swider, I feel like, always has a set form. I feel like Matt Ryan actually has a quicker release. And the one shot he made where he, uh, Jay Huff gave him a screen and he curled off of it and the defender was right on his grill still and he drained it, even with his legs flailing and everything, I think that's like the sort of different dynamic that Matt Ryan brings where it's like kind of more loosey-goosey and wild, but... I like that out of a shooter, you know what I mean? And he gets that up really quickly. And the fact that he missed his first two or three threes and he was like, I'm still going to keep shooting, to me, is very encouraging. And then to add on to it, you know, I want to talk about Dwayne Bacon because he did look good. He did a lot of nice things off his own dribble. My only concession is he kind of reminds me of Mason Jones, a dude who likes to have the ball in his hands and likes to score. And Bacon did a good job approximating what Lonnie Walker would do once he plays. Which is why I feel like if I had to choose between the two, I would like and I I would like to keep Matt Ryan over Dwayne Bacon, even in our G League system, just because Matt Ryan has more potential as a pure legit shooter off ball. And that's what we need. We don't need more on ball guys, to be honest with you. And Matt Ryan also I don't know, maybe my eyes are deceiving me. He kinda looks tall. I know he's six 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 seven, but he kind of looked even taller than Cole Swider. But yeah, what are your thoughts about Matt Ryan? And maybe you can you know bleed into his your your analysis of him with some Dwayne Bacon thoughts. I just keep thinking of the former Atlanta Falcons quarterback every time you say Matt Ryan. Like <laughs> yes, of course, <laughs> like every single time. And I use Matt Ryan a lot in DraftKings over the last few years. But anyway, um, it's it's just funny that name. Um, <laughs> so he's playing tonight. I, know. I mean, both Matt Ryans are. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Spider-Man meme. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, um, 
I, I like what you have to say about like between what our team's needs are. Uh, I thought Dwayne Bacon looked solid for sure. And you do bring up, up a good point in terms of, okay, so what happens when these other key additions to our team, like Alani Walker, the fourth are here. Um, Cause right now we're seeing stuff that's like, this is literally what we've got. And this is why we're, we're playing them. Um, hopefully Lonnie Walker plays tonight, but um, we need shooting desperately, <laughs> you know, like you said, and we need like gun slinger shooters mm-hmm. who aren't going to hesitate. And um, it's not like they're going to be getting the most likely, you never know, but they're not getting 20 minutes or anything like that. You know, we're looking for a guy who's going to get spot minutes, a la we're going to go in the Wayback Machine, a Brian Shaw, a freaking Mike Penberthy or whatever. Like, they hit one three in a game that matters, and that's, like, huge, mm-hmm. you know, or a Sasha Vujicic or whatever. Um, we are severely lacking. Like you said, he even has a little bit of size. Um, he's not one of those guards, you know, that we already have on the team. So, um I, I, I love the story, of course, and um, I, I think that that could be that could be something that surprises us. I mean, our, our team's done a good job in terms of surprising us with guys that just come out of nowhere like this and then end up being real contributors. Yeah, I don't think he'll make the roster. He has an outside shot at maybe the two-way spot, but Scottie Pippen's look good as well. But I hope he plays for the South Bay Lakers this year, and we do have the option if we need to, if Cole Swider gets a standard contract to, you know, swing Matt Ryan into that two-way spot because there was there were those times uh, in the fourth quarter where I was like, ooh, Cole Swider and Matt Ryan at the same time defensively could be an adventure, but doesn't matter. I mean, shooting-wise, holy crap, you know, like there's so much spacing there and so much potential with both of these two route running. What's a good NFL comp for that? Like Cooper Cup and who who else? What's a good, another good wide receiver? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Adam Thielen because he's white too. I was just gonna say, you have to think of like two white guys though. <laughs> like if anything, you oh, need like man. a tight end and a wide receiver, right? Like Oh, that's true. Yeah. You yeah, know yeah. what I'm saying? So uh Tyler Higby's on the Rams, he's a pretty good pass catcher. So oh, they, they, Cup, dude, actually, Tyler Higby. That is perfect. <laughs> there you go. Those are the only two guys that um, Matt Stafford likes to pass to anyway. Know, so exactly. there you go. <laughs> yeah. Get the ball to Allen Robinson. Come on. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, man. That's so funny. All right. With that said, thank you guys for listening. That'll do it. Um, we will catch you guys next time when more summer league – sorry, when more preseason games are played. And, yeah, there's something here. You know what I'm saying? There's some vision here. We see the vision somewhat. Uh, it's all about – rounding out the rest of the roster and getting guys back healthy so we see a more complete picture. So with that said, Alan, I will catch you later. Laters. See ya.